We at Central Hope are in the midst of a series called Repent and Be Loved, and we're looking at four of the core needs that each and every one of us have in our life. The need for comfort, which is what we're going to look at today, the need for control, the need for significance, and the need for acceptance. And the idea behind these things are, yes, we have these needs, but we manipulate them and twist them, and it actually hurts us. It's, it's in a negative effect. And so as a result, we're called to repent, which is turning away from our godlessness and turning towards God. And so this morning, what we're going to be looking at, as I mentioned before, is that we're going to turn from the ways we seek comfort in our own ways and turn to God. Our scripture text comes from Psalm 16. We're going to be looking at the entire um, chapter. Or the, it's, a, it's a poem. And if you see in your bulletin, it should say a mictum of David. And just so if you know, what is a mictum? We don't really know what a mictum is. Most, most scholars believe that this is just a, uh, an old Jewish phrase about a, it's a type of song or a psalm. Um, it's a poem. Needless to say, it's a poem. And David is the one who writes this to us. And uh, we're going to be looking at this poem today from Psalm 16, from David, King David. Um, so if you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to open your Bible to Psalm 16. If you don't, you can look on it in your bulletin. So Psalm 16, a mictum of David. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. The drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Each Thursday, I meet with a group of men in this city from all different backgrounds and all different perspectives to discuss things that matter, not weather, not football, not what's going on in our golf game. It is simply things that matter. And recently, we spent some time discussing what is the purpose of life. Now, I mentioned to you there, there, people come from different backgrounds and different perspectives. Now, not everyone in this group is a Christian. So I am a Christian, and they all know that I'm a pastor. And so in the midst of this discussion on what the purpose of life is, I said, well, I... I kind of have an idea what the purpose of life is. Let me share it with you. And so I shared with them the Westminster Shorter Catechism question number one, which is, what is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Now, again, I'm not trying to force this on them. I'm just trying to share them the perspective of life that, that I hold to, that I, that I see. And one of the men in the group looks at me and he goes, so life is about joy. I said, yeah. We were made for joy. We were made to have life and comfort and joy. Yes, this is a big part of who we are. We need comfort and joy. This is who we are. And then we got discussing about how we seek joy. 
And unfortunately, the discussion started to turn to a negative reality because you know this, and he knew this, and I know this. That we were made for joy. We were made for comfort. But the moment we take, we don't even take the step. The moment our mother takes a step out of the hospital, we are hit with the discomfort of life. And all around us, we experience suffering and pain, disappointment. We were made for joy, but this life is full of disappointment, suffering, and pain. And so in, the, in us, in all of us, is this incredible tension that we face each and every day. The need for joy, but the reality of pain and suffering. How in the world do we endure this tension that so many of us face? How is it that we manage this? Now, many have, have tried to, to alleviate this tension by blocking it by their experiences. So they work really hard, and I know this well, work hard to gain recognition and power and finding joy from the recognition of power that hard work brings. Or, or you block it by going on vacation thinking that the vacation is going to alleviate all the stress or a newer home is going to make you feel better or a better car is going to make you drive faster, and it might. Yes, some people block that tension by seeking it through experiences. Do you know that? Turn on the video game system at night just to block it. Turn on Netflix just to get away from that tension that is in all of us. Look, you might not block it, but you might numb it. You might ignore the tension that you feel, and so you turn to substances like alcohol or drugs or constantly looking for dopamine hits. You, instead of, you know, instead of, of um, trying to deal with it, you just ignore it, numbing it. But here's the thing. When the vacation ends and the substances wear off, we're still left with that tension, aren't we? The quietness of our day scares us. What do we do with this desire for comfort? This need for comfort, and yet this reality of pain and suffering and disappointment that comes to us. Is there another way out of the tension than just ignoring it, numbing it, and working towards it? I think Psalm 16 gives us our answer. And indeed, I think David would tell us, yes, there is another way. And that way comes from God and God alone. In verse 11, as he ends his poem, he says to God, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. David finds comfort from God, not in his kingdom, and he was a king, not in his wealth, and he was incredibly wealthy, not in his moral victories, and he was a great military man. But he looked to God for his comfort. And yet, in the midst of that, he doesn't even ignore the difficulties that life brings. Because consider how David begins the poem. Verse 1, he says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. Can't you see that David acknowledges that life has trials and difficulties and challenges, disappointments and hardship? He's doing it at the very beginning. David, though, finds comfort from God in the midst of all of these difficulties. 
And some of you might be rolling your eyes saying, of course he does. Of course David finds this. Of course the Bible talks about finding comfort in God. Look, pastor, I've tried this before. I've tried on God. And, and you know, the comfort that I found in the church, it just doesn't last. It doesn't work. But before you dismiss what I'm about to say, because I think the answer is ultimately in God, I want you to consider the rest of the poem that David writes. Because in this poem, David displays great knowledge and wisdom and insight and faith that leads him to the comfort amidst the tension that we all feel. It's, it's, it's not just this, oh yes, God's gonna make everything go away. No, life is a lot more complex than just trust God and it'll all be good. No, David knows that too. And in his psalm, he displays having lived a life and he has displayed to us a very complex reality. And when we see that complex reality, here's the thing. I think we can find comfort amidst the tension of our life, especially in God. Look, there's three things that I think David um, knows that he puts into this poem. Number one, he has a certain perspective of life. He lives thankfully, and he has embraced hope. Three things that he has. So this morning, I want us to all find comfort from God amidst life's pain and troubles by looking at how David had a perspective of life, lived thankfully, and embraced hope. So if you have an outline or if you want to go with the outline, there's three things that I think we must have if we're going to find comfort in the midst of life's difficulties. We've got to gain a perspective. We've got to live thankfully. And lastly, we've got to embrace hope. Gain perspective, live thankfully, embrace hope. Let's study David's wisdom and insight that he puts in this poem that we might find this. First, let's gain perspective. Look with me at verse four. Look at what David says in this verse. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. What I want you to see is that David looks at how people live, how they seek comfort and salvation from God's because this is what we do. We have troubles, we have discomfort, and we look to the gods for life. But what does David say that those who pursue the gods, the lower G gods, he says their sorrows will multiply. And instead of seeking the gods of this world, what does David decide to do? He chooses God. And he has this incredible perspective. Not only do their sorrows in, in, in increase, but those who pursue those small g gods, they make a great and painful sacrifice. Look, it's easy for us to look at this verse and dismiss it completely because when we think of ancient gods, lower g gods, we think of little idols that people worship and bow down to. But I don't think this is what David is referring to. He is speaking specifically to, to the gods that we look to for life and comfort. And this can be anything in our life, whether good or bad. This can be our children, the acceptance we long from our peers, the winning record of a sports team, our jobs, our clothes and looks, our fame and power, and even religion. For those of you that are in our church, especially religion. If I'm speaking from my own heart, I could go through each of the items that I listed and confess to you how I've looked to these 
different realities for salvation and comfort in life. Indeed, there are gods that we bow down to. These are the gods that we look to to find comfort, but they only increase our sorrows and will only increasingly demand more. Indeed, David has the perspective that that is the reality of looking to anyone but the true God, that sorrows will increase and more will be demanded of us. The reality of all of us, if we look to life, let's say this, if we look to life from our jobs, if we look for salvation and comfort from our jobs, what we do, you realize that one day you're going to retire, right? And you don't have that opportunity to find life from that job anymore, do you? And the sorrows will only increase because you'll be sitting there wondering, where's my life? Where's my comfort? It has an end in sight. There's an expiration date on the small g gods because they're not gods. They're good, but it's not where we find our comfort and salvation. No, the small g gods require more and more and more. A few years ago, Jim Carrey gave a commencement speech. And if you've never listened to a Jim Carrey commencement speech, you know Jim Carrey, uh, I highly recommend it. He did it at Mariachi International University. And, and, and you might think Jim Carrey, the person who played Lloyd Christmas and Ace Ventura, was dumb. You'd be like, what? This man is incredibly intelligent and wise. And so to the graduating class that he was speaking to, he started to speak to them about what he's experienced and what he gives back. And he looked at them and he said, I think everybody should get rich and famous like me and do everything that they dreamed of so that they can see it's not the answer. Like David, Jim Carrey came to the perspective that the things that we look to in this life, the small G gods, the ones that will demand more and more of us and only lead to sorrow, are not the answer. And so, he, like, Jim Car- like David, Jim Carrey's like, don't embrace this. Don't look to the gods of this world for the comfort in this life. They will not produce it. So friends, we must gain the perspective that David gives to us. These things in this life will not provide ultimate comfort and security. It won't. It'll go away. Your children will go away. Your job will go away. Your sports teams, well, if you're my team, friend, uh, a fan of my teams, you know they never win. Your friend groups change and so on. And so seeing this perspective that the things that we look to in life for comfort is so vitally important to opening us up to the perspective that we need, that is that the true God can indeed provide us comfort. Now I want you to see this one just last bit of how our true God can provide us comfort. What is it that David said that, that the gods require? And what, what the gods require? Blood sacrifice, right? I will not pour out a blood sacrifice for these gods. Here's the beauty of our God. He poured out his blood for us. He poured out our, his blood for us. Don't you think that a God like this who poured out his blood to redeem those who were damaged by sin would not provide his own people comfort indeed. My friends, we must see the perspective that David sees, that the gods of this world will not provide the comfort that our God can. 
Indeed he can. But not only that, not only do we need to gain a perspective to find the comfort that God can bring in the midst of life's trials and temptations, we must live thankfully as David did. We see this in verses five through eight. I'll read this again. David lives thankfully, and he says, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Do you see that David is making a conscious decision to look to the Lord's rather than other gods and in doing so, recognizes the many blessings that the Lord has given to him and he thanks him for it. Verse seven, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. I mean, all before him, he's recognizing these beautiful blessings that he's given and he's recognizing that it is the Lord who gives it to him. He is thankful. And if you don't know what thankfulness is, and yes, you know what thankfulness is, but at the heart of thankfulness, thankfulness is simply a reaction to a need being met, which around here is, we, we say is love. Love is a process of meeting needs. Thankfulness is always a response to love. And the Lord loves David, and he blesses him. And in response to that love, he lives thankfully. But thankfulness and living thankfully, guess what? It takes discipline. It doesn't come easy. This is why we teach our children all the time when they receive a gift to say, thank you. Because children don't understand that when a gift is given to him, there was sacrifice, there was money, there was thought. There was a lot that went into that gift. And the kid just thinks, oh, sweet, all right. And so we look at them and we say, no, say thank you, right? We do that with our kids all the time. Why? Because thankfulness doesn't come easy. It requires discipline. And this is exactly what David does. He disciplined himself to live thankfully. Look at verse 8. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Look, you, you want to you not be an entitled brat like little kids who don't say thank you become and then become a nuisance? Put the Lord before you always. And recognize that he is the one that provides all your good things. You know, we're a people that dwell on so much negative stuff. We didn't get this. We didn't do that. And everything's just negative. And we rarely take a moment to step back and say, what has God actually provided for me? What has God done for me? Many of us know what it's like to have a meal on our table every single meal, but not everyone in the world knows that. And yet we won't even take a moment to say thanks to God in our prayer because we think we're just entitled to this meal. That's not true. So many of us feel entitled to live in a house that has air conditioning. (laughs) When the air conditioning goes out, and I know this very well, we are miserable people to be around, and I can attest to that myself. We become entitled, Brad, but when we put the Lord before us, and we say, you know what, Lord? Thank you for providing that air conditioning, because it's nice. Thank you for providing this meal. When we put the Lord in front of us, it puts things into perspective. It really does. 
We become less negative Nancys and become positive Pauls. Because we recognize the Lord is the one who blesses us. The Lord takes and the Lord gives. And many of us have so many reasons to be thankful. David did. He disciplined himself to live thankfully, and it changed his perspective. And he began to see that, yes, I can find comfort no matter the situation. Paul did that too. He said, I can be content with much, and I can be content with little. Why? Just like David, Paul found his comfort in God. And he constantly lived gratefully, thankfully for who God is. He blesses us, guys, so much. And so let us discipline ourselves. Let us be cognizant of the many blessings that we have, giving him thanks. Because when we, when we do, we can actually begin to see, wow, God does bless us and find comfort in that. So living thankfully and having the right perspective are vitally important for us to find comfort from God in the midst of our tension, in the midst of pain and suffering. But there's one last reality that David has that I think is so vital for us. And that is that David embraced the hope that God brings. David had the perspective about God's. He, he lived thankfully, but he embraced the hope that God brings. We too must embrace this hope. Look at how David embraces this hope in verse nine. He said, therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. And this is his whole, his body and soul, his whole being, who he is. My flesh also dwells secure. Why? For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. If you're wondering, what is Sheol? This is, this is the Jewish understanding of hell. I won't go into all the details, but if you're just curious, you will not abandon my soul to hell. That's a good way of thinking that. You will not let your Holy One see corruption. Here's what I want you to see. David finds comfort from God because God gave him hope even amidst death. And he embraced it, and it brought him gladness and joy and peace of mind. His whole being rejoiced in light of this. One of the reasons why we have such a difficult time with the trials and the tribulations of life, the difficulties of life, is because of the reality of death. Death is the ultimate tension producer. But in the midst of looking to God, David finds hope from his death from this God and therefore finds relief from the tension that death brings. Now, how does David know that God brings hope in the face of death? David was not writing in view of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He did not know Jesus Christ at the time. I think David, and there's probably a whole list of things, but there's two stories that come to my mind when I think about how does David know that God can bring hope in the midst of death. I think he would have heard stories like Enoch. You remember Enoch in Genesis? And Enoch was such a delight to God that God said, you know what, he's not gonna die, he's gonna be with me. And I think he looked at that and said, I think there's a resurrection. I think there's hope after death. And then, and then there's a story in 1 Samuel 29 where Saul, he's about to enter in. Saul, if you recall, was, was David's kind of king for a period of time. He was the king before David. And Saul was about to go into battle with the Philistines and he was really nervous because he's like, what's, what's gonna happen? And so he goes to a medium, kind of like a witch doctor, and he says, we need to call up Samuel. And so he goes to this medium in Endor, 
and they call up Samuel, and do you, it's, it's hilarious. Samuel is not happy. He is like, are you kidding me? I was chilling, and now you bring me back here. You're going to get it. And by the way, Saul, you're going to die. I think David hears these stories, and he's like, oh, there, there is life after death. And it's because God provides it. And so I think when David hears these stories of how, how the men of God either have been preserved, I think he goes, oh, God can preserve in the midst of death. And so he looks to God and he finds hope in the face of death and he embraces that hope. And when he embraces that hope for himself, he finds joy even in the face of death. Now, Christians, here's the thing for you and I. We have a far greater testimony to rely on than Enoch and Samuel being called back from the dead. We have a far greater one, and that's the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. How in the world can we embrace hope? We look to the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is our greatest hope. For it was Jesus who was crucified, died, and buried, and for three days he remained in the tomb. But on the third day, Jesus was greater than death, and he walked out of that tomb. Jesus overcame death. It is who we are as Christians looking to the resurrected Lord and saying, <laughs> yep, there is hope. My friends, embrace the hope that the resurrection brings. Death is not the end of us. You know that, right? So that the tension that we feel in the midst of death, it can only last for a little bit. Have you ever seen the, the, the miniseries from HBO, The Band of Brothers? I love it. it was, it's, I watch it like once a year. There's this one powerful scene or one episode where, where a, a, the private Blythe jumps into France and he's so scared. I mean, who can, who, can, who can blame him? I mean, he jumps into France and occupied France. The Germans are all around him, shooting around him. He's got this gun. He's all alone. And he's, he's, he's just, he, he literally loses his sight. And one day, a battle starts happening, and he's on the front line. The bullets are whizzing over his head. And he's so overwhelmed by this that he hangs out in a foxhole, crying and screaming. He even screams. It's a powerful scene. <sighs> he's so traumatized by the reality of death. And a man named Lieutenant Spears hops into the, the foxhole with him, and he starts to speak to him. Now, what he speaks to him, I don't recommend, but I think it's close. I'll, I'll just tell you what he speaks to him. He said to him, you know what your problem is? You still think there's hope. And the only hope you have is to accept the fact that you're already dead. The sooner you accept that, the sooner you will be able to function as a soldier. For some reason, that clicked for Blythe. And he was able to fight. He was able to get out of that foxhole and shoot his gun. I think in a similar way, when we embrace the resurrection, when we, when we put it before us, it's like Lieutenant Spears meeting us in the foxhole where we're so scared, ah, life is happening. And, ah. and the resurrection comes before us and says, you know what your problem is? You're afraid of death. But Jesus has overcome death. Get out there. Embrace the hope of the resurrection. And you too can live. I think David did that. And when he did, he found joy. It's the same with us. 
Death, where is your sting, Paul writes. The resurrection has eliminated it. But we must embrace this. How do we embrace hope? Well, I think it's good for us to dwell on the resurrection, to consider it, to study it, to study its veracity. There are so, so many incredible um, apologists, which are just people who defend the reality of the resurrection, that when we read it and when we study it, it, it confirms our faith and trust. So we study the resurrection, and we dwell on it, and we think about it, and we find hope from its truthfulness. We should do this. David did, and he found great joy. So friends, you're going to experience that tension, that tension of that need for comfort. I just want to get away from the problems and the trials of this world. And you're going to have those trials. And it's just going to be this, you know, loud radio noise. But in the midst of that noise comes wisdom from David. And his wisdom tells us, gain this perspective. When you try to alleviate that radio noise in anything but God, it's only going to increase your sorrows and require more of you. Turn to God, the one who gave his own blood so that you might be with him and find comfort. Live thankfully for him or with him, for he has given you so much, so much more than you can ever imagine and hope, and embrace the hope that he brings. When we do these things, gain that perspective, live thankfully, and embrace the hope, we can find the comfort that David looks to in Psalm 16. We, like him, can proclaim to God, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Let us take these things to heart and find this comfort. Let's pray. Our gracious Lord, we give thanks to you for providing us comfort through your son. How we can see and behold this world in a whole new way through him. Thank you for the hope that he provides in the resurrection. Thank you for the, 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 the atonement that he made through his blood, that we might find this comfort from you. May we indeed take it to heart this day.